Welcome to the VMware Multi-Cloud Podcast Series. My name's Eric Nelson, and with me today, I have my co-host, David Josso. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Eric. Well, great, so am I. On the show today, we're gonna to be talking to Kit Colbert. He's the VP and CTO of the Cloud Platform Business Unit. Kit, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's great to have you. And uh, as the CTO of the Cloud Platform Business Unit, you're here today to talk to us about VMware's unique architecture for the application modernization and cloud usage coming together. So yeah. great to have you on the show. Before we do that though, we'd like to always get to know our guests a little bit. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your history at VMware? I know you have a bio that's pretty long. It starts with vMotion. So why don't you take us through that? Yeah, yeah, I've been at VMware for quite a while now, uh, 17 years actually, almost 17 years as a full-timer. But my story with VMware starts actually before that because I interned uh, at VMware in the summer of 2002. So this is when VMware was still, still a startup, still tiny. I think there was like 150 people at the company. Um, and you know, probably one of the, the highlights of my time as an intern was that I worked for Mike Nelson, who was the person who created vMotion. And so he started working on it a bit before I started my internship, but then he did a demo for a bunch of us uh, about maybe a month in. And uh, I saw the first kind of, you know, demo of vMotion basically. So it was pretty mind blowing. And uh, it was definitely one of the things that made me say, man, I gotta come back and uh, see what else is, you know, VMware has to offer. Yeah, back in the days of uh, physical to virtual and that whole ramp up, it, it certainly was interesting. And then as we progressed, you got to work on a lot of the other tech that we've grown into from the original vMotion days where it was just virtual computing. Yeah, yeah. So I came back in, in uh, 2003, uh, full time, and you know, was working on the VM kernel. Uh, again, very small team at the time, fit completely in one room. That was basically the the ESX team. And yeah, I uh, moved to vMotion. Actually, it's funny because Mike, my mentor, had created it, but then I took it over a few years later, and did a lot of work to it. We we created storage vMotion, um, and saw a lot of success there. And then I moved into the operations management space. Worked on a product that would eventually become what is now vRealize Operations. So it was great to be on the ground floor of that, get that started. I actually spent time in our end user computing group for a little while. I uh, was CTO there, uh, helped with the acquisition of AirWatch and Cloud Volumes and a few other companies, and, and really helped to, to set sort of a, a strategic direction there. And it's amazing to see what the EUC team's done since. I, at that point afterwards, kind of realized that things around containers and cloud native were starting to kick up and VMware needed to do something, right? And so it helped to start the cloud native applications BU, which is now morphed into what we call the modern applications BU within VMware. Um, and finally, you know, getting to my current role uh, for cloud platform, it's kind of a full circle because I started off in the ESX VM kernel team. I'm now back in that team, although of course it's much, much broader. It's not just ESX, it's vSphere, it's VMware Cloud Foundation, but it's great to be back there and to really be looking at you know, we've come so far, but how do we take it to the next level? Cool. Hey, Kit, you and I first met uh, back in uh, management. Uh, both of us worked on yeah. Realize Operations and helped, uh, you know, sort of launch that as a, as the flagship for operations. So that was, that's great. And uh, interacted for many years now. So yeah. it's great yeah, to have you on today. Together again. Hey, uh, we wanted to, um, you know, like today's focus, we're really, 
you know, this whole podcast is around multi-cloud and, you know, we're geared, we try to gear it to topics of interest for architects and people that are, you know, making decisions around cloud environments or strategies around application modernization. Um, and you and I have been working a lot together on, on some of the, some of the um, content for that. And mm -hmm. so it's great to have you. Maybe we could start with uh, just sort of, you know, setting a context around applications and what people are doing sort of broadly, and then we'll get into what VMware is doing in response to that. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, so obviously it's funny, right? Because VMware has always been more of an infrastructure company. Um, and, and we were able to sort of transparently insert ourselves into the IT uh, stack. But obviously the, the, the focus and the, the goals have always been around the applications. And you know, I look at what we did originally as helping out a lot of these applications um, by helping out the infrastructure underneath them. And I, I think that's really what we're still focused on. But what's interesting is that a lot of things have changed in the industry and even the notion of infrastructure and infrastructure itself has evolved. <clears throat> and so what you see now is a lot of customers saying, hey, I've got a lot of these applications, um, but a lot of them have aged in the past you know, couple of decades, right? And they haven't necessarily kept pace with the latest technologies. So a big theme that we're hearing from customers is all around this notion of application modernization. And the idea there is how can they take the apps that, that drive their business? And again, most of the apps that drive their business have been around for quite a while, right? They were created a while ago and they've been expanded since then, but they haven't been fundamentally rethought. And I think now with that modernization effort is really how do you rethink these things so they can take advantage of all the great new technologies out there. Things like dynamic scaling, uh, the ability to support you know, many more users than they ever had before, uh, the ability to update them really quickly. So these are the things they're looking for and thinking about. The challenge of course is how to get there. And we are seeing customers running into a number of challenges on that front. Yeah, I, I've also seen a great quote, uh, it was on CNBC a while back, I think it was about that uh, more software being delivered in the next uh, four or five years than has been delivered in the last 40 years. So, um, mm -hmm. um, you know, a big part of what um, we're seeing customers do is also build out net new applications. I think that's sort of, a, you're hearing that as well, right? Yeah, <clears throat> well, it's both, right? Yes, yeah, it's, it's certainly um, modernizing existing ones and also building out net new ones. Um, now, what's interesting about that, though, is that the net new ones typically aren't greenfield, i.e. they're not completely on their own. I mean, those components may be, but usually they actually rely on those existing applications. Uh, again, because the existing applications are the ones that you know, hold all the data and have all the core business logic. And these new things extend it in a variety of ways. But the way to think about it is like it was kind of those core, you know, older apps and then this kind of satellite or ecosystem of more modern things built around it. And so customers are looking to do both, create the new ones and modernize the old ones. Um, and they need to figure out some way of doing that uh, as consistently as possible. So it's actually interesting, uh, just for a second, I'll comment that um, if you look at running a business, you have your existing applications and maybe they're just doing fine, right? Uh, but yet you want to build new apps and then you want to build those new apps with modern application techniques, but you don't want to have to spend, you know, the manpower required to bring it, those old apps into that new infrastructure. So it's kind of like, all right, we, we, we invest in new pieces of the automobile and tech, but we keep the tires, we keep all the good parts that have always worked for automobiles, but then we're building, you know, self-driving capability, yet it has to plug into the automobile framework, right? Yep. So yeah, and that's where you can spend your dollars on that new tech. Exactly. And I, I think, you know, one of the big challenges that we see customers debating is, 
is this notion of opportunity cost. <clears throat> because you do want those new, new features and new functionality, uh, new capabilities. But a lot of times it's, you're doing that instead of you know, building a brand new offering for a customer, right? You're like, oh, I need to make this thing scale bigger, which is good, it keeps the current business flowing. But at the same time, how do you balance that against you know, building out a new component or some new business capability uh, in software, right? And so we do see a lot of these customers who are saying, hey, I wanna to move to the cloud. I wanna uh, move ahead you know, these different dimensions, but there are opportunity costs there and how do I think through that trade-off? And it's, it gets really, really tricky for a lot of them. Yeah, you brought up uh, the next topic I wanted to move to, which was this, um, you know, application modernization, kind of what's the relationship to the cloud and what people are trying mm -hmm. to do there with the cloud? Yeah, <clears throat> well, I think it's a lot of these different components. I mean, the way I think about modernization is, is a fewfold. Uh, there's certainly an aspect of infrastructure. You want a more modern infrastructure, uh, a cloud infrastructure, something that you can uh, get self-service access to, you know, get things on the fly, scale up, scale down, uh, get you know, a whole bunch of services, right? So we see people not wanting to manage their own databases or manage their own ML systems. They'd like someone else to take care of that for them. It's the same idea of cloud, but now in addition to just IaaS, it's, it's going higher level. <clears throat> and then to the app itself, it's like, how are you rethinking that application? Uh, you wanna take advantage of things like containers or Kubernetes. That's a really big one that we're seeing. Uh, but then, then the actual architecture of the application, they're rethinking as well. Again, this modern sort of model, you have these, these kind of microservices architecture, which isn't necessarily correct for every application, by the way. Uh, but that general pattern of moving away from monoliths, kind of getting smaller, uh, allowing teams to go off and execute independently, what that allows you to do is actually move more quickly, right? You get well-defined interfaces between these different components. Each team can do their thing without having you know, to manually communicate with everybody else. So again, whether it's microservices or not, there needs to be some rethinking of the architecture there. So I see that as a few different layers, right? There's the core infrastructure, getting a lot of those cloud capabilities. Uh, <clears throat> there's the runtime, whether it's containers more generally or Kubernetes more specifically. And then finally, it's the application architecture itself. And I think customers look at all three of those as part of their modernization efforts. How do uh, how do then they factor in? You know, tr you know, I'm going to be on AWS or I'm going to be on Azure or I'm going to be on Google, mm -hmm. and sort of you know what you know what are some of the strategies related to each one of those that the, that organizations are pursuing around yeah. their applications? Yeah, there's, there's a few different strategies there. Um, <laughs> probably the first one that we've seen and we've seen it for a while is it's not really any explicit strategy at all. It's just a lot of stuff's happening. You know, especially for a larger organization, you've got all sorts of things going on, different business units, different teams, and they're all going and testing out different stuff. And it's really hard to keep a lid on it, right? Uh, everyone's kind of the unconscious strategy, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's probably the, the, the biggest one that we see. And even if we do see a customer saying, hey, we're going to go all in with AWS, we're going all in with Azure, um, then, you know, they have acquisitions and they have other things that happen that, that kind of knock them off of that. And so... I think the uh, new reality for a lot of these folks is absolutely multi-cloud, uh, just because of the fact that there's so many reasons uh, to move to, to different clouds or, or because again, this acquisition, use a different one. And so when you think about that from an architectural standpoint, it's no longer, hey, I'm gonna try and make a big bet on one and just try as hard as possible to stay on that one. It's, hey, maybe I'll start off on one, but I know I'm gonna go to others. And obviously I don't wanna to go to too many, but at the same time I need to have 
a technology portfolio and an architecture that supports me in that goal, right? To give me that flexibility, that choice on where to move. You know, if you look at the different teams, some teams may say, hey, I really need strong AI capabilities and may choose a cloud for that. Others say, hey, I've got certain apps. Like for instance, we see a lot of customers uh, with you know, a SQL server, right? And want to run that on Azure. And so mm-hmm. you can see all these different reasons why a team, an individual team can make, hey, a judgment based on their specific criteria and requirements might be different from another team who's got different uh, criteria and requirements. And when you sum the all that up, you wind up you wind up in a situation where an organization's got multiple clouds going, and they probably still have the data center too, right? I think yeah. you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are seeing some customers getting out of the data center. Uh, you look at VMware Cloud and AWS, for example, just tremendous excitement there, and we're able to move customers to the cloud extremely quickly. That being said. Uh, most of our customers, especially the, the larger ones, still have on-premises uh, data centers or other environments for a variety of reasons. Um, the first one is just that uh, that's their standard operating procedure. It's a big thing to shift it, to change it, and change the operational model for those applications. And so it's kind of inertia, right? Other times it's like, hey, I've got a manufacturing site. I've got a lot of IoT devices. Uh, I need to put data uh, <laughs> data center server, excuse me, data center class servers into these environments. And they may not be data centers themselves, but that's okay. Like at, at, let's say an edge location, we see a lot of our retail customers wanting to do that, especially with the advent of all sorts of the, uh, the security cameras out there. You think about the Amazon Go style places and you know, all the AI around that. Those are really big things and you need beefy machines in order to, to crunch all those numbers. So we are seeing a lot of those needs. And and so it really gets to this multi-cloud concept, not even about public clouds, but just kind of multi-location everywhere. And this notion of how can I bring cloud, not as a place, but as a model to these traditionally non-cloud locations. Yeah, and I, re- I just on the data center thing, I, I think about the last 10 years and I, I can go back probably five plus years and it was really, you know, sort of everybody was talking about the death of the data center. But I think, mm-hmm. you know, while people are certainly reducing some of their investment or moderating their investment there, um, a lot of, you know, most of the customers I run into still are going to have some place for a data center. And as yeah. you said, are just trying to connect the dots across everything. Yep. Yeah. So you got to start thinking about how do you manage across all these very diverse environments? And I think that that is a big challenge that we see from a lot of customers. Um, And typically what happens is that they'll spin up a team for AWS, a team for Azure. Uh, Sometimes they have a single team that can do both, but oftentimes you do need specialists. Again, the tools, the technologies, the APIs, uh, they're all like, even some of the concepts are a little bit different between these different clouds and these different environments. So that is a challenge that we also see there. Yeah, you've, you've, uh, you've, I know you're, you know, I have the benefit of having uh, worked with you a bit on white paper, but you've actually articulated, I think, very well some of the challenges that organizations face as they try to go sort of what I would call big bang to the cloud. Maybe mm-hmm. you could talk a bit about uh, sort yeah. of what, what you've seen over, over the, you know, over the years here. Yeah, sure. So I think when you think about the, the modernization, use case, the customers are saying, hey, I want to move up to the cloud. Well, actually, actually, let me, let me take that back. So I move to the cloud, so I want to modernize. As part of that, there's a natural move to the cloud, right? Because the, the thinking being, hey, 
Uh, I'll go to public cloud. I'll take advantage of all these great cloud technologies. I'll build a cloud native application. I'll use all these cool DevOps tools and, and processes and so forth. And so really what you're talking about is a pretty massive change to that application. You're rehosting it, you're replatforming it, you're refactoring it, you're bringing in all these different operational tools, completely different team culture about how you do your, your you know, development and release process. And the thinking there, and, and by the way, that is the industry narrative. When you think about app modernization, that's what you think about, this kind of recreation, this, this reinvention. And obviously, it means you're changing everything, right? You're going from the old world to the new world, and there's kind of no middle ground, right? It's one or the other. And so we do see a lot of customers trying to do that. And we see varying levels of success. I mean, some customers are able to get there, um, but a lot of customers have a lot of challenges in doing it. Uh, the first thing is that that whole change over there is actually pretty slow. It takes a while for each of these applications, especially if we're thinking about refactoring, you know, rewriting a lot of it, that takes a lot of time. And frankly, it can introduce a lot of problems, right? Different bugs and things. This is why, you know, a lot of customers sell up mainframes because that code is very delicate. And you don't want to mess around because it makes the big bucks for the company. So you have to be very thoughtful about that. And that can take time. Um, <clears throat> the other aspect of it is that it's just very difficult as well. It does require a lot of expertise and skill sets and new knowledge, uh, understanding how to build these distributed systems and distributed systems themselves are fairly challenging. Uh, but the biggest thing that we see about it is that actually somewhat counterintuitively uh, reduces your flexibility and choice. Because as I mentioned before, you're either in the old world or completely in the new world. There's no in between. So if you're trying to make the switch from one to the other, unless you're able to get all the way to the new world, then you're still in the old world. You know, the app's still running there until you can finally make the switch over to the new world. And if something in the middle happens, like let's say a massive pandemic, like we're seeing now, um, that means you're probably gonna, your business is gonna turn on a dime to deal with that situation. That means all the work that you may have invested in the migration, in the modernization, will have to be thrown away or put on pause. So you can't actually realize any of the benefits of what you're doing there. And so you, know, you look at all these different problems that are there, and then you multiply it by all, of, all the different clouds that are out there, right? Because it's one thing to do all this just for a single cloud, but then you start looking at, oh, how am I gonna do this for every one of these clouds? And that becomes a really big challenge. And it's, by the way, it's not just that, it's every cloud and doing this individually for every application as well. Yep. There's no real way to, there's no way to automate that, right? It's gotta be humans on keyboards making that thing happen. Yeah, just a couple of uh, thoughts on on this on this whole multi-cloud issue. I mean, we you know we started with this idea that um, you know teams individually went to the cloud and kind of talked about that as the unconscious strategy. But we're mm -hmm. definitely seeing more organizations become more thoughtful and strategic, and they're really going, "How are we going to connect the dots? We don't really want all these teams operating in silos. How do we get some leverage here?" I think, um, yeah, I'm sure you're seeing that as well. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And so I do think. There's a question of, of speed, of wanting to realize a certain set of business benefits, and then some flexibility and choice around how to do that, right? <clears throat> so, you know, especially with COVID, I think one of the really interesting things is that speed element, how quickly these businesses have had to change. And, and we've just seen that, you know, outside of technology as well, things that people said would never happen or that were too hard to do. It's like, wow, kind of overnight, it all, it all went down, right? Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I think we're seeing the same thing in the technology space as well, that uh, it's accelerating a lot of these trends uh, that we've already seen, the move to the cloud that we talked about, this modernization. But I think people want to take a different viewpoint and say, how can we do this differently? Uh, we need to move into the cloud, quick, uh, cloud quickly. We've got certain business objectives 
that we want to hit? And how do we hit those business objectives as quickly as possible? So it's kind of like this all or nothing approach I talked about before that they, they don't want that. They want a way of going maybe 20%, getting some of those business um, benefits, values. And then at some point in the future, you know, going the rest of the distance. And so I think it's, again, goes back to that optionality and flexibility concept. Well, isn't there also just a piece of risk management that gets involved in mm -hmm. here too? Because, you know, yeah. some of these moves, I've, I've read these stories where they do cases on this stuff. They should be in Harvard Business Review for some of these things where, yeah. you know, it was like a three-year process and they got it over there and then everything fell apart, got hacked, it had issues. Right. And the next thing you know, they're, they're re reverse migrating just to, just to keep the business running. Right? So. You're absolutely right. <clears throat> and, and so I think... So we do this a lot internally. So, you know, my role is both kind of external, you know, things like this or going and talking to customers or, or writing blogs or what have you, right? As well as a lot of internal <clears throat> discussions. And so I work really closely with our team on many aspects of technology and strategy and architecture. And so we go through the same sorts of things that our customers do, right? And uh, whether it's, you know, app modernization in general or, or just, you know, these other sorts of changes, it is about driving changes into your organization and how to do that very thoughtfully. And I think where people go wrong with it is that they develop this three-year strategy for kind of this, this future state architecture that they want to get to. And then they believe that, you know, the, the only way there is, is directly there. It may take three years to get there and they kind of want, want to redo everything. But they kind of try to do it, in, again, all in one fell swoop. And, and what I've realized and what I try to work with our teams on is like, how can you sort of break that apart and have smaller stepping stones so you can be making progress, locking that progress in, and then you're free to change direction, you know, after you lock in each of those steps. Because the one thing I do know is even though you get this like great, perfect, beautiful three-year strategy out there, in 18 months, it'll most have likely already changed. And that's okay. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try to do it. We should always have a clear goal in mind, but we should always give ourselves the ability to change because of the fact that this industry and technology changes so quickly. And so there is that sort of balancing act there. And I, I think you're absolutely right, Eric, when you talk about risk and managing that that risk and it really is how long uh, are you buying off here like what, what what's your bet is it you, you need a year for this well and what might not what might happen in that year uh, or is it better to think about things more quarterly or potentially every six months giving you kind of smaller steps that you can take allowing you to change direction after each of those things so that's really i think some of the thought process and some of the strategy in terms of uh, this these app modernization efforts yeah, and, and the interesting thing is we think that we're inventing the wheel here, but if you probably went back to 1978 and looked at the mainframes, they were having the same exact conversation of how do we go into mini computers now and how do we how do we pull these applications apart and take advantage of the flexibility of the, the new compute environment and then from minis to micros. And mm -hmm. uh, this, this continues on in tech. It is the same model that you apply yeah. as you're consuming new tech pieces that are coming along. Yeah, and it, it, there is an art to it, right? And I, I know that as a technologist, this is definitely something that I've struggled with personally as well, because I'm always, <clears throat> you know, pulled in by like, you know, the, this beautiful future architecture we want to get to, like all the coolest, like new technologies, whiz bang things, so on and so forth, right? Um, and it's natural, I think. And so you, you can, you can kind of get sucked in there and, and it's tough because at the same time, if you just look at day-to-day -day execution, it's like there's all sorts of stuff that's being done. Oftentimes, you do have to make these trade-offs, right, to, to get a feature out. Well, you're not doing quite the right architecture or quite the right technical implementation. You're accumulating technical debt through all that. And so I think it's natural for engineers to, to want to undo that, right, to want to fix things, kind of wipe 
wipe the slate clean. And the reality is just because of our industry, we, we, you know, we never have enough time or resources to actually make that happen. And so when you think about all these sorts of changes that, that are being driven, it's all about how can you do these sorts of architectural changes opportunistically <clears throat> aligned to the right business case. So, you know, yeah. I think a lot about um, <clears throat> various things, you know, even within vSphere. And there's a lot of you know, architectural elements uh, that, that we wanted to change, right? For, for a while, I mean, we've known we need to, but we couldn't justify the effort uh, because we had so much other stuff to do and none of those, like the, this re-architecture we wanted to do didn't directly align uh, with some of these other things. But, you know, when we look at some of the big changes that have happened in vSphere lately, like uh, for instance, the introduction of Kubernetes, that was huge and touched all different aspects of vSphere, both ESX and vCenter. And that actually gave us the ability to start working on some of these long awaited architectural changes that we wanted to do, right? So it is thinking about, you know, how do you space those things out and how do you align them with, with the business objectives? Because in the end, that's what all this is about, right? Is supporting the business. Yep. And hey, let's, uh, Kit, if we can take a little bit of a tack here, uh, but, um, you know, we've talked about the challenges people face as they try to go to the cloud, you know, sort of moving from where they're at to where they want to go and the discontinuity there, if you will. Um, we do know from a survey we did with about 1,200 um, IT pros and um, app dev pros earlier this year, kind of what they're looking for when they talk about their multi-cloud environment that they're looking for is the ability to sort of connect the dots, sort of the ability to build on any plat any platform and then deploy to any platform. So it sort of, you know, implies that there's some level of consistency and unity there, right? Mm -hmm. um, the ability to, um, you know, move an application after it's been deployed easily to be confident in the security profile and those kinds of things, which, you know, I, you know, are in, in many ways tied to the level of complexity or simplicity, if you will. Um, and that, uh, you know, those are the kinds of things that people are looking for as they think about it. That's certainly probably not the case today when you think about how, how uh, your typical cloud and particularly I'm thinking about public cloud is built today, right? So, you know, how are we starting to think about solving that problem? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, that study was really revealing, and I think uh, was very consistent as well across all the different customers that we surveyed. So, you know, this again goes back to strategy development, right? We've been talking about strategy, and everyone's thinking about this, right? We at VMware have been thinking a lot about this as well, as we've been hearing about customers. You know, how do we best support customers in this big transition, uh, this modernization effort that they're doing? And so... You know, we, we kind of talked before about this, this multi-cloud situation that every customer is in, that they're all either going multi-cloud or already multi-cloud. And the challenge is about managing across that, the fact that each of these clouds are very different. And when you look at it, the, the power of the public clouds has been that they're vertical integration, right? <clears throat> that they own the data centers and the hardware and all the sort of physical architecture there, the control planes, everything is theirs, including the higher level services as well. And I think that that sort of vertical approach has worked well for them. But as I mentioned before, while it's easy to create new apps in those vertical uh, silos, if you will, it's much harder to modernize apps into them. And so that's one like, really interesting observation that these things are great for creating brand new things, but really hard to modernize. It can also be difficult then to consistently manage with the existing stuff that's out there. So instead of going vertical, VMware has taken a horizontal approach. And this is, again, kind of the fundamental, I think, distinguishing characteristic of our strategy, that we're not trying to be vertically integrated 
<clears throat> with everything. And so what we're trying to do is be horizontal and have a much broader uh, set of infrastructures that we support underneath us, as well as a much broader set of applications and you know, pl application platform services that sit on top of us. And if you, know, if you look at the history of VMware, that makes a lot of sense, right? We start off as a simple hypervisor running within a single computer and kind of did that same sort of horizontal abstraction, separating out the operating system and its application from the underlying hardware. You can now imagine that whole thing a little bit on steroids, right? That now it's not just at a single computer, but whole clouds or whole infrastructures is really what we're talking about. <clears throat> and by doing that and bringing that horizontal approach, what we can drive is a lot more of the consistency and simplicity, uh, the same tooling, uh, same operational capabilities, same skill sets can now be used. And you know, with, with all the partnerships we've now done with all the mega clouds, it means we can do all this across any cloud. So whether it's AWS or Azure or GCP or IBM Cloud, Alibaba, <clears throat> Oracle Cloud, you know, all these folks uh, now have uh, the VMware Cloud Foundation run, running across them. So I think that's, again, that horizontal approach is something that's really, really fundamental to our strategy. Yeah, it kind of turns the current situation on its head where, you know, you're getting um, very distinct and proprietary services from each provider, uh, where now you go, hey, I want to keep the same software stack, but I'm going to get Metal as a service. I know you've, you, I, you know, we, it, I, I had never heard that before I saw that with some of the work you were doing around this notion of Metal as a service. Maybe you could talk about that. Yeah. So this is something we actually worked on with AWS way back in, uh, in the day, but uh, I mean, like three or four years ago now, because uh, they didn't have any way for us to run ESX bare metal. And so we actually co-developed uh, this technology around uh, basically bare metal for EC2 that we could call an API and a brand new physical server would magically appear out of the ether. <laughs> we could use it to, to install ESXi on. So this was really, really powerful. And we subsequently worked with uh, the other mega cloud providers to, to do a similar thing. This notion of being able to get a bare metal instance more or less on the fly and be able to deploy ESX and build on top of that. And what that allows us to do is you know, avoid any of these kind of nested solutions that, that have various sorts of overheads and other issues with them. But instead you get the actual pure you know, vSphere, VMware Cloud Foundation experience it just now so happens to be running inside one of the public cloud providers. And, and I think that this ability, so from the ground up, uh, to have that same experience wherever you happen to be, whether in your data center or at an edge location like a factory, or now in the public cloud, is really what I think one, one of the huge differentiating capabilities that we have. So we created this bridge that allows you to sort of, you know, you know deal with traditional apps on any, on any um, cloud. Um, there's also this aspect of, you know, modern apps, which are intended to be much more portable, but there's, there are other obstacles, right? Other hindrances that keep you from being as flexible as you want there. And it's mostly in the tooling space, right? And the environments for modern apps. Maybe you can talk about how VMware is approaching that. And then we'll come back and connect mm -hmm. the dots because uh, the, I want to really focus on Project Pacific and what we did there and how cool that was. Yeah, so when you think about uh, the modern that modern application space, you're right. So if you look at uh, each of the different clouds, uh, they are introducing some of these new capabilities that they have, you know, Kubernetes as a service, they have some of these higher level services. But it's one of these questions where if you are running across uh, these different clouds, if you're doing multi-cloud, how can you drive some more consistency in how you deliver those uh, next generation app capabilities? 
<clears throat> so one of our big focus areas has been around you know, the, this um, family of products that, that we call Tanzu. And the goal of Tanzu is to be multi-cloud by nature, right? Uh, this notion that we can take the value proposition from any of the, the Tanzu products and deliver them, whether it's on vSphere, vCF, or on native AWS, Azure, et cetera. And so, you know, just, just some sort of proof points there. We have things like Tanzu Kubernetes Grid. And the idea there is that you can drive consistency in how you deliver Kubernetes and Kubernetes environments uh, to these different clouds. How do you secure them? How do you manage identity and access to them? Uh, do things like backups, uh, ensure they're in compliance, like all these sorts of oper oper operational, <laughs> if I can get that word out, operational concerns, uh, we now drive consistency there. <clears throat> things like uh, what was formerly Bitnami, but is now Tanzu Application Catalog, managing all the open source uh, packages and libraries that you might have in your company, in your ecosystem, ensuring they're patched, ensuring they're up to date wherever they may be provisioned. Uh, Tanzu Mission Control, the ability to manage all these Kubernetes environments. And so, you know, you just go on and on and uh, you, what you see is a really powerful portfolio that's designed for, the, for these multi-cloud environments. So this knocks down barriers around multi-cloud that have less to do with being able to, uh, less to do with application portability, but the, mm -hmm. the ability to have the same operating model or development model on any cloud. I think that uh, is yeah, well, really cool. Yeah, it kind of goes back to those three layers I talked about before, right? The first layer is kind of like the core modernized infrastructure. Second layer is uh, the runtime, embracing Kubernetes containers. And the third layer is refactoring. And Tanzu really does focus on those latter two layers, the Kubernetes slash container layer, and then the refactoring layer as well. But things like Tanzu application service, that is really a rethinking, hey, I want to go microservices, I want to go all in and we can help support customers making that transition. So again, it, you know, it kind of separates out each of these steps that you can go to the cloud when you need to without doing any refactoring because of that underlying consistent infrastructure. So that makes that a snap. In fact, you know, we can vMotion workloads up to the cloud, which is really, really kind of mind blowing if you think about it. And then you're free to take an, an additional step of starting to embrace Tanzu, starting to embrace Kubernetes. And then there's a final step around refactoring and each of those can be done of their own accord at their own time. And after each step, you can realize some incremental value before going and taking the next one. So I think that's like the, the really big takeaway here is that this horizontal approach allows us to break down this formerly very you know, big kind of big jump from your old state to the new state and actually say, well, instead of going either all or nothing, there's actually now some, some middle stages there that we can take you through that reduce your risk and actually improve your speed. And again, this goes back to that counterintuitive notion that we can actually get you there faster by breaking this big problem down into smaller steps. And there was a really interesting bridge that uh, was created also in the technology, right? With vSphere 7 in terms of what we did around, um, you know, being able to connect the dots between, you know, sort of the old world and the new world. Maybe we can talk mm -hmm. about where we're going with vSphere 7 and yep. um, the work there. Yeah, well, as I mentioned, you know, Tanzu is really focused all around Kubernetes and, and VMware has made a strategic bet on Kubernetes. I talked before about how the notion of infrastructure is changing. And what I mean, what I mean by that is that what is considered infrastructure and what is non-infrastructure is actually shifting. <clears throat> if you imagine an architecture stack, you know, kind of an IT stack going from hardware, you know, or maybe like a physical data center to hardware, to the hypervisor, to the operating system, to the container orchestrator, you kind of, you know, going up eventually to get to the application. 
Well, originally, you know, infrastructure kind of ended at, at the um, hypervisor layer, at the virtualization layer. Everything inside the VM was kind of considered not necessarily application per se, but at least middleware. And certainly the operating system wasn't part of the hypervisor layer. That, that, that was a separate concern. Yep. But what's changed now, especially with the advent of Kubernetes, is that that line that distinguishes infrastructure from non-infrastructure is actually rising up the stack. And you know it's interesting because you look at something like Kubernetes and the things it does are in some ways not that different, at least in category, from what you know WebSphere and WebLogic did you know 15 years ago, right? <clears throat> but what was funny is that those products were clearly middleware. That's what everyone thought that's the, the term for them. But Kubernetes isn't. Kubernetes is infrastructure. And I think the big aha that we had around that. Um, was not just that Kubernetes was infrastructure, but why it was infrastructure. And that was because it's becoming a standard, right? And once it's a standard, then we can, you know, as VMware kind of take that on. Like if there's like 15 different things happening uh, at any given layer of the stack, well, it's too hard for us to virtualize or manage all those things. But if there's a standard like there was with x86, okay, we can get our arms wrapped around that one. And now we've seen the next standard come out, which is really Kubernetes. And so as we thought about that, it became really clear that the next logical move would be to embed Kubernetes into vSphere. And so this is what we announced uh, with vSphere 7 and VMware Cloud Foundation 4, is that we now have the, these Tanzu capabilities of Kubernetes deeply integrated into vSphere. And, and this is not some you know, UI integration here that kind of looks nice. Like this is to the core. We've evolved ESX. We have a new ESX runtime. Uh, that's still VM-based, but is optimized for containers. In fact, th these uh, workloads that run inside there are way faster um, than just traditional VMs. In fact, sometimes even faster than bare metal, which is kind of mind-blowing, <laughs> but uh, we have the data to support that. So ESX has been rethought. <clears throat> and then we also have, uh, you know, we're kind of rethinking the management and control plane uh, of vCenter, that now for each ESX cluster, it is also a Kubernetes cluster. And so what you have now within a vSphere deployment, essentially two northbound APIs, one of which is the traditional vSphere API, and the other one is Kubernetes. And you know, as the CTO for vSphere, where I'm, you know, we're all pushing this thing together, but where we're really trying to go is to say, hey, we want more and more of that northbound API interaction of vSphere to be Kubernetes based. We just okay. think Kubernetes API is super powerful. And so it is this, this fundamental rethinking that, that we're uh, driving right now. Yeah, I have one comment on this kit, which you, which you say, which is bare metal. And I like to remind people that there is no such thing as bare metal. There is silicone with microcode in it, right? But everything is code, right? It, it is all software. Yeah. Sometimes software is in silicone, which we call metal, but it, which is the hardware. But it really, it is, it, is, it is code. And that code layer has just continued to grow up. The system or the platform continues to grow up. And there, there's just no reason that Kubernetes isn't just part of that growth, right? So, yeah. Yeah, makes, yeah makes and actually on that point, I think it's a great point. And um, to dive in a little bit on that <clears throat> bare metal uh, point I made earlier, because you're right, Eric, it's not uh, just raw <laughs> computer <laughs> metal or whatever, you know, you have not a hunk of steel. Aluminum. <laughs> There's an operating system, right? There's always an operating, it has to be an operating system. Something <laughs> needs to like operate the, the fundamental hardware there, right? And so in this case, in most cases nowadays uh, that we see on the server side, at least, you know, um, th that operating system is Linux. And so fundamentally, when we have the super optimized ESX runtime, we're not comparing it against quote unquote nothing, we're comparing it against Linux. 
right? So ESX on one on this one host, Linux on the same, you know, similarly built or identically built host. And we found that um, uh, for some sets of workloads, we do actually get faster performance on ESX than Linux. And the reason for that is that uh, the ESX NUMA scheduler, so the CPU scheduler, we're really good at keeping um, workloads and applications uh, local to their NUMA node so that all memory access is local as, to, as opposed to remote. Whereas Linux's algorithm by default sort of spreads things out to try and drive aggregate util uh, CPU utilization. That can mean more uh, remote NUMA accesses, memory accesses, which of course are slower than local ones. Uh, now, of course, you know, there are ways to manually tune Linux not to do this. And, you know, we've seen that. So you can see that 8% or whatever number performance improvement disappear. But the point is that out of the box, the ESX scheduler right. is, is really, really good at being very intelligent about how to schedule these things. And a matter of fact, you know, as a corollary, corollary to that, early days, right, when ESX first came out and VMware was doing its thing, you know, a lot of people said, oh, no, this is the death of Intel, right? As like, you know, what's the point? But it's quite the opposite, actually. I think we've helped to drive Intel. In fact, the, the notion of these multi-core chips getting way up there, right? 30 odd cores or whatever the number right, is, right. growing. The main use case for that is like, there's like three or two or three workloads. It's like, you know, uh, HANA and maybe SQL Server slash Oracle and then VMware. <laughs> those are like the only things that can actually use all those cores. And so because of that, our CPU scheduler is really second to none nowadays. And so you're seeing that in that sort of example there um, with what we did um, with the uh, <clears throat> container optimized runtime in ESX. Again, right. that's just like sort of one really interesting technical detail. Right. And I also have another comment on this oh, yeah, whole please. space, which is when you look at Kubernetes and I've built Kubernetes, I've run Kubernetes on my Raspberry Pis, I've listened to people and I looked at Google and how they built out, I've been to talks. If you really look at it, it's complicated Right, it's you need like a Google or a Netflix Netflix IT infrastructure to to figure out how to build a scaled out Kubernetes environment. And when I really look at it, and I look at all the problems I read in papers that they have to face to keep everything running, I look at it and I go, VMware's been doing this with vSphere, running VMs at those large scales anyway. Why would you not just plug in your Kubernetes containers right into the that infrastructure that already does all this? that we, we managed in vCenter. Yeah, well, it's funny you should mention that because you know, it kind of brings me back to when we first started uh, the Cloud Native Business Unit like five years ago now. Um, because when we started looking at the space, and again, you know, like I got into this, I started hearing about containers and everything that was happening. This is kind of before Kubernetes was even created or announced. But, you know, even then, well, at the time we were very worried. So like, oh no, you know, containers might disrupt VMware, blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, as we started getting into it, we were like, hey, <laughs> all these problems they have to deal with, they're all the problems that we've already been dealing with the past 15 years, right? Um, it's the same problems of like operating something in production. The thing is that, yeah, there are some differences, right? Containers are different from VMs. The way you manage them is a little bit different. Um, sometimes the speed at which you update them is different. So some things are different, but a lot of the same problems are still there. And so, you know, it's funny because if I look back, my assumption at the time was that we had to do something different than vSphere. We had to go, you know, create something else. And we had this kind of photon stuff for a while. Right. That, that was our sort of hypothesis. But, you know, like Maya, couple, Maya Culpa was wrong on that one. Because <laughs> what we realized was like, dude, we already are solving all these problems. We have a very mature platform here with vSphere. So rather than creating something new uh, and trying to replicate all that mature functionality, why not just evolve vSphere? 
right? That's much, much simpler. And not only that, it allows us to take along all our existing customers for that ride. And so I think that gets back, David, to the point you were making earlier around, hey, you know, when you think about this replatforming, um, well, okay, the first step of, of rehosting, of moving to the cloud, VMC and these things, we can take care of that with vMotion because of the underlying infrastructure. Well, now if you think about, okay, going to that second layer of adopting Kubernetes and, and containers as a runtime, well, now there's not even a fundamentally big shift there because vSphere itself has evolved and we are now you know, you know, teaching Kubernetes about how to manage VMs. So without any modification to your VMs, you can start using Kubernetes baked into vSphere to start you know, managing them. So you can start using all the Kubernetes APIs, getting access to the Kubernetes ecosystem, start managing all your apps, not just mm -hmm. uh, the ones that you've rewritten. Yep, and then you can containerize them and start to simplify the life cycle for those traditional apps as well, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a process, right? <clears throat> I mean, you can do it completely unmodified or more or less unmodified, but obviously you want to make those modifications because you want to modernize that application. And so I think the point here is that, that there are these stepping stones, stepping stones as we've been talking about, right? This notion that you don't need to have an all or nothing approach, but you can take these smaller steps um, that allow you to, again, you know, over a quarter or maybe over six months, to uh, realize the value of those changes and then figure out, okay, you reassess. Do I keep going forward? Or, you know, again, I'm in the middle of a pandemic, we got to suddenly turn a hard left right. from a business perspective. And you, and you do it in a way that's multi-cloud capable from the start, whether you're working on brand yeah. new apps or you're working on traditional apps or whatever, basically. Yep. Well, yeah, and I think that's, you know, if, if I look at what we're doing as VMware, I think what's really powerful is that we've kind of got, we've got many different things going on, but Kind of the simplest thing or simplest way I'd say it is that there's part of us, you know, like the vSphere team specifically, uh, that's focused on sort of elevating vSphere itself, right? Integrating with Tanzu, bringing in a bunch of new functionality, building that in, ensuring that all the apps that are running there can get all these great new functionalities. So in some ways we're kind of elevating vSphere to, to new heights. At the same time, we have a bunch of other teams who are really looking at how do we proliferate vSphere and VMware Cloud Foundation to every possible location out there. You know, you look at VMware Cloud and AWS, you look at our Azure and all the other partnerships I mentioned. Uh, you look at VMware Cloud on Dell EMC, this ability to bring a cloud experience around VCF on-prem, really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. And so it's really both of these that are very complementary. It's like in one way, we're evolving what vSphere is, and the other way, we're you know, driving it to more and more locations to enable customers to take advantage of it. And again, to your point, David, to, to drive that, that really simplistic modernization story. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Great. Really cool. And as much as, uh, as much as a uh, last comment here on this topic, as much as it takes the fun out of hanging around, building out Kubernetes clusters and dealing with all that, I yeah. could see where you just, you just get this focus farther up the stack, right? Well, and that's what we hear from customers. I mean, this whole notion of moving to a service uh, type model is, Hey, you know, doing like doing this, this basic infrastructure plumbing, and managing all that it doesn't differentiate my business you know that's what we hear from customers right. and it's funny because you know i say the same thing back i'm like yeah you know no customer has ever differentiated themselves by how well they've run vmware or how well they've run kubernetes or how well they've run anything else down there and it seems strange for the vmware guy to say that but i'm like you know it, it's true right like you can negatively differentiate yourself by mm -hmm. how poorly you run our software. Yeah. Right. You know, infrastructure is breaking and the apps are falling over and all chaos is breaking loose. But if you run things really well, that's just table stakes. And, mm -hmm. you know, if your apps are still not that interesting and customers don't like them, well, that's the real business problem. 
And so, you know, stop focusing on stuff that's, you know, kind of undifferentiated heavy lifting. Let us take care of that. We'll handle that burden for you. And then focus on what really differentiates you. And, and you know, Eric, it goes to Kubernetes as well. I think people are just like, look, it's a great technology. It's super powerful. To your point, it is complicated. There are a lot of challenges there. Uh, there's good tooling out there, but again, it's like a lot of stuff to learn and deal with. And I think a lot of folks would say, hey, I'd rather focus on my business and drive what really matters to my customers and let you guys take care of the table stakes for me. Cool. David, great David summer. Jasso, David Jasso, we are uh, running out of time here. Yep. How do we want to uh, wrap up and uh, finish up with Kit? So Kit, uh, maybe just uh, give us a sense of what's coming up for you and then we'll um, bridge out. Also, any places that you want to call out in terms of where yeah. people can learn more, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a uh, bunch of activities happening. Uh, so obviously VMworld is coming up uh, in just a little while and I got a lot of exciting announcements. Can't talk about them yet, unfortunately, but you know, this continual evolution uh, across the board, um, <clears throat> really looking at, at, you know, kind of driving both that horizontal expansion, kind of more locations, as well as evolution of vSphere and really mm -hmm. A lot of the stuff that we've been talking about here, though, uh, we've been noodling on internally for, for quite a while, right? Probably the last six, six, nine months now. And it's finally starting to come out in various ways. <clears throat> so uh, we just recently did a, a multi-cloud briefing uh, that's there on the web. You should check out uh, myself, Vittorio, Mark Lohmeyer, there's a few folks you know, kind of going over some of these points a bit more succinctly because we kind of, you know, had, had it a bit more scripted out. Like two minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I've, got a, I've got a new blog series going on uh, octo.vmware.com. Again, drawing out a lot, of, a lot of these different ideas. So really, you know, a lot of what we've been thinking about talking with customers about is now starting to come out. But obviously, we need to keep evolving that. And the only way, the only way we can do that is by talking and working with our customers, with people who are listening. And so again, I think the most important thing I would say here is go check all that stuff out, read up on it, look into it, and then give us your feedback, you know, interact yeah. with us. Come to VMworld, it's happening this year. It's yeah. all virtual, but it's still happening. Yeah, yeah. so VMworld's a great place for that. You know, again, I'll be there well, virtually, obviously, uh, as well, you know, 25,000 of our friends. Um, but I think, you know, we're at this really, really interesting inflection point. And I think, um, you know, the, the other thing I'd say, maybe as a way of closing here, is that we look at someone like the VI admin who manages these vSphere environments. And I think there's a huge opportunity for our VI admins out there. And there's hundreds of thousands of them, by the way. There's a huge opportunity them, for them to dramatically uplevel their skill set and you know, expand their scope of responsibilities. As we see vSphere expand into VMware Cloud Foundation, as we see VMware Cloud Foundation go to all the different mega clouds, you know, as we see embracing you know, virtualized comp uh, compute and storage and network, as we see Kubernetes getting built in there, there's a huge opportunity for the folks that are deep into vSphere, into VMware, to grow with that. I think that's the biggest call to action I would have. It's like, you know, take advantage of that, lean into it, learn as much as you can and see how you can then give back to your organization uh, all those great new capabilities. Yeah, great advice. All right, fantastic. Well, Kit, Kit, Kilbert, Kit Colbert, VP and CTO <laughs> Cloud Platform, and I've been getting ready to say this, the coolest intern gig I've ever seen. Thanks exactly. for coming. Yeah, I got awesome. to be here with us. We appreciate it. It's great having you, Kit. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take care, everyone.